thing you want to do is drink beer. And we didn't really have a tap room. We're like, well, we better get a tap room going. Mm. Welcome to BizCast Greater La Crosse, a weekly podcast from Biz News. We bring you news from the business community. I am your host and founder, Vicki Markison. Joining me today is a man who knows a lot about beer. Joe Kachaver is the owner and brewmaster and founder of Pearl Street Brewery. And we joked like the jack of all trades because that's what happens when you own your own business. But you're celebrating 25 years. So let's start before year one. What were you doing and how did you get the idea to say, hey, I'm going to learn about beer and start my own brewery? Hi, Vicki. Thanks for having me. Wow, you're going way back. I um, am. I was working at a brewery in, out in Colorado and I thought I could start my own brewery. <laughs> I was in my 20s and I was originally going to start the brewery out in Colorado and then it turns out you you would I, I would have needed a lot more cash to do that out there so I came back to Wisconsin and started it in a place that didn't have any competition any other breweries so this was in the late 90s and in the late 90s there was no craft breweries in La Crosse or anywhere in the area so that was what differed between here and Colorado and in Colorado there was a lot of craft breweries so there's already competition basically to start up out there would have taken a lot more capital came back to Wisconsin where I grew up and started Pearl Street Brewery in 98 and we actually opened up in 1999 got it and did you grow up in La Crosse why La Crosse why lacrosse? Nope. I grew up in the Milwaukee area and in Port Washington, Wisconsin. My dad, Tony, he has attachments to this part of the state from back in the 70s and 80s. And he knew the owner of the bodega. And when I came, we're trying to figure out a way for me to start this brewery in Wisconsin. He said, why don't you do it in lacrosse? Because I know this guy, He's a, he owns this great craft beer bar. And this is at a time when there were almost no craft beer bar, not, not even craft beer. It was mostly imports, I should say. So he owns this bar with like 100 beers in bottles and tap. And he's way into beer and he wants to develop it into a, a brew pub. So that's that was basically how I ended up in lacrosse. So we made a, I came out here, <clears throat> I flew out here and met Jeff Hotson, who owns the bodega still to this day. He had just bought it a couple of years earlier and opened it as this beer bar. We met, we thought this is going to be great. <clears throat> I come, I, I set up my business within his business. And for the casual observer, it just looks like a brew pub, but he doesn't have to deal with any of the brewing or recipe design or any of that stuff. He just gets to run his business and have all this kind of a house beer on tap. So that's how it all began. And so hence the name. Is that where the name came from? Pearl Street Brewery. Yeah. Yep, right on 4th and Pearl. Yeah, it's funny. We didn't have a name. We couldn't really think of one. My dad and I, <clears throat> and we were walking into the bank to State Bank here, right here downtown La Crosse to start. We had to open like a checking account, right, for this new business. And as we were walking in, he just said, why don't you just call it Pearl Street Brewery? And I said, sounds good. And we went in and signed it up as Pearl Street Brewery. <laughs> you got to love spontaneous thought. And, yeah. and here we are 25 years later, right? Right. And you're brewing beer. How did you find your customer base? Obviously, you had the bodega as your first customer, I'm assuming. Yep. And how'd you grow it? I really got involved and became 
friends with and got to know all of the small businesses downtown. During 98, I came here in October and I came here during October of 98 and just began building the brewery. And of course, everyone's gossiping all around how this guy is op- from Colorado is opening a brewery downtown. And so I got to know people like that. And it took me a long time to get the brewery. We had to gut the basement of the bodega and move all this stuff out. And then we had to build cooler and install this equipment without any money. So we were doing this stuff ourselves. People that I had just met were helping. Hey, I can come and help after work. Okay, great. And then we just got it done. But it took a long time. And in that time frame, before I even started brewing beer, I met a lot of people downtown. Initially, my loyalty was to the bodega, and for a while, I just sold beer to the bodega. And then when I had, I think, nine or ten taps on at the bodega of Pearl Street Beer, then Jeff wanted to also offer beer from other breweries on his tap lines, too. So I started selling my excess capacity to other bars and restaurants downtown. So he still had first dibs, so to speak, and then excess went to the others. Right. We dug straight into the business side of this. Is this, was this your full-time gig right away or were you, did you have a job to help pay for all of this stuff? Because you said you, it doesn't uh, sound like you had a loan. No. Well, I did have a loan. Okay. I think I borrowed $14,700 from my dad. Wow. Yeah. And I never paid him back. Well, yep. So that's how he became my business partner. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, uh, dad, it doesn't look like I'm ever going to have any money <laughs> to pay you back. And, and, uh, and so he was my business partner for many years. Got and it. It's great to have him as my business partner. He doesn't live around here, but he'd come to town on a regular basis and we'd work together and I had been gone for a number of years. So we re- reacquainted ourselves and work together and it was pretty cool bonding over beer yeah you know it work all day drink beer all evening what a life do it again the next day yeah Yeah. Yeah. and talk to people yeah yeah our original customers i guess you'd say were yesterday's bar because that was the bar i like to hang out at after work and the phases and Dell's Bar and the Helm and John's. I remember like putting beer on at each one of those places for the first time. And it was pretty exciting back then. Absolutely. Yeah. You'd yeah. celebrate each one, I'm sure. Yeah. And we have been continuously on tap at all of those places ever since. Very so cool. For over 20 years, I've had Downtown Brown on tap at the Helm. Yeah. John's Bar and Dell's Bar and Basie's up until they closed last year. They've always had our beer, usually two or three taps. Yeah. Explain the climate. That's a terrible word. We were talking about how they used to be called microbreweries at the time, and there weren't that many. Talk about what the beer scene was like back when you opened. Wisconsin had almost no small breweries. Of course, there was Miller and Line and Kugels and a few other breweries back then that hadn't gone out of business. Um, There's Huber in Monroe, Wisconsin, Pabst Blue Ribbon, all those breweries, but nothing like as far as a small, like a microbrewery, except for Sprecher, who started in the 80s, late 80s. So he was way ahead of the game. Randy Sprecher, who's like an icon in the brewing world um, and, and a super great guy. Um, and then you had Russ and Jim Klish opened uh, Lakefront Brewery in Milwaukee. I remember being barely, I'm not, I don't even think I was of drinking age or not, but they had this 
pumpkin ale they made for in the fall. And I remember it just being terrible. <laughs> and they obviously, that might have been one of their first years of ever putting it out there, but it got really good. And it was like the Lakefront Pumpkin Ale. I'm pretty sure they still make it. And it's still the staple that a tradition in Milwaukee. Mm. And they have gone on to become a really fantastic destination brewery in Milwaukee. One of the top breweries in Milwaukee to go visit. They have an excellent beer hall style, like tap room and they have food and anyways great guys but it was them and it was Sprecher and then there was a brewery in Madison called Capital Brewery which is also still around but it's more of a brew pub these days but that was it for what was called microbreweries back back then and <clears throat> certainly nothing in lacrosse so I in lacrosse you had Heilemann yeah so Heilemann was great lacrosse is a beer town through and through. Everybody drank beer and almost everybody drank old style and special export. Men, women, children, didn't matter. Everyone drank either <laughs> export or green death or, or they drank old style. And that was great moving into a beer town because some towns aren't like that. Like towns that don't have a big old brewery in them, everyone just drinks whatever. <laughs> but in a beer town, people are just like, they everyone knows a person or several people that work or worked at at Heilman or they work there themselves. So what else are you going to drink? And that was cool. That helped. I think helped me out starting a small brewery in the in a big brewery town. And coincidentally, the year at, after I uh, started Pearl Street Brewery, Heilman had closed mm -hmm. like they went out of business and the city was devastated people just couldn't imagine it because Heilman was around for 150 years give or take so everybody that was alive in lacrosse like their entire lives their parents entire lives and their grandparents like, that brewery was here big part of lacrosse yeah. big part of lacrosse's identity and all of a sudden it was gone and uh, here was this little brewery a sad little replacement for <laughs> island downtown <laughs> but uh, luckily some investors got together and i don't know if you remember the story they some local guys kept it going randy hughes mm -hmm. and mike Mike McDonough and a lot of guys like that they kept it going. They worked for free. They just said, what else are we going to do? And then they resurrected the brewery and then it was bought and sold a couple times. And then Park and Bossart bought it and turned it into City Brewery. And it's been doing great ever since. Yeah. And the people here have a lot of loyalty, right? So not only are they familiar and, and we're very loyal to Heilman's, but you have your customer base that you had. They've been loyal for all of these years. And so my question for you is, so you have this loyal base. The interesting thing I think that's in your favor as well is there's nothing like meeting the owner, right? Like that's cool to go, oh yeah, I talked to Joe or I met Joe over here. So the piece that we're missing is talking about developing you as the brewmaster. So uh -huh. you were working in Colorado. Yep. Did you have a vision for what you wanted to brew here in La Crosse? I had the opportunity to work for some really smart guys out there. I worked for three different breweries in Colorado, and I got the opportunity to just work with really good brewers that really knew their stuff. And they ended up sending me to beer school, which is just this abbreviated hands-on sort of thing where you learn the mechanics of running um, the production of, in a brewery and packaging. 
And from there, I just dove into it. It was really like, so I went to college and I was not interested or I was mildly interested in everything, but I wasn't, nothing just grabbed me and held my attention as far as the subject matter I was learning at UW-Milwaukee. But once I was, became interested in beer and home brewing and realized that there was an actual career opportunity in making beer, it was like, wow, this is fantastic. I want to do this. And so I dove in, I got really interested in beer and brewing and I just read everything I could get my hands on and went to lots of like continuing education kind of things and master brewers courses where you go do like two weeks hands-on stuff and you learn, do a lot of classroom and learn. There wasn't really, like nowadays you can actually go to school for beer and beer production and come out with a degree in brewing, beer and brewing. Back then that was unheard of. So you, most people that went into beer were just people that were already into the sciences um, or sales or whatever your job ended up being in the craft beer world, but they started out usually with like microbiology or chemistry or something like Mm. that. And they just applied that to beer and brewing. That's the road I went. I I just learned a lot along the way. So you found your passion, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy to devour books and really focus on stuff when you get into something, Mm -hmm. you're really like driven and you don't want to put those books down and you want to take the knowledge you've just learned and go apply it by making some homebrew or, Mm -hmm. you know, working in a brewery and trying to develop new recipes. That's a big part of brewing is recipe design. Yeah. So let's go back to your timeline. So you're brewing in the basement of the bodega Yep. and Heilman is closed and I'm guessing your customer base was growing. And as you were saying, as we were speaking before this, you started out grow the space. The first brewery was a seven barrel brewing system. So, which really means at the end of it, you, you can make about six barrels because <clears throat> there's lossage in the process. Six barrels. So a barrel is 31 gallons. Barrels don't really exist in the real world. It's just a unit of measurement. Half barrels. That's like a, a keg of beer is mm-hmm. a half barrel and that's 15 and a half gallons. So we're talking just a couple hundred gallons of beer per batch. So I, w- I maxed out my ability to produce a, uh, beer within, I don't know, a year and a half. I couldn't brew any more beer. So for the next three or four years that I was at the bodega downtown, I just kept my tanks full and produced as much beer as I could, but I couldn't grow anymore. There was no room for a bottling line or anything like that down there. So everything was draft only. It was just half barrels. That's all I made is half barrels of beer. And it wasn't until we moved away from there that I was able to grow as far as ability to produce more beer. Yeah, then that didn't happen until after we moved out of the bodega. Got it. So where did you move to? There was this interim situation that was about a year long. I didn't have a place to move into. And then right around the time my lease was up at the bodega and it was time to, and I I wasn't making any money because I wasn't selling beer by the pint in a retail fashion. I was (laughs) selling it by the keg. And so at the end of the day, I barely had enough money to buy some more ingredients and make some more beer. (laughs) That was just not a really tenable situation. So it was time to either go big or go find a job (laughs) doing something else. Uh, This big building came along, uh, but we can't just like flip the switch and start brewing beer. There's a lot of work that needed to be done. So in the interim, I rented a small space down actually pretty close to Old Style or to Heilman Brewing Company. Just an empty building down there. 
And I put a cooler, I built a big cooler in there. And then uh, as far as production went, I had become friends with Todd and Jim up at Pioneer Brewing Company in Black River Falls. And so I said, hey, can I come and brew up there? And they said, sure, no problem. So I went up there and brewed the beer and then can't, and then they would process this process. Then they would process it and package it. And I would come and pick up the kegs. Me and my buddy Donnie with his dad's truck and a trailer, we'd put 40 half barrels on a, <laughs> on this trailer, a car trailer and haul them back to uh, lacrosse and put them in my cooler. And then from there I would just hand deliver them all over town. And at that point in time, instead of making 12 kegs of beer per batch, I was making 40. And all of a sudden, I could take on new accounts. Of course, I only had two different beers because I couldn't brew all the beers that I was brewing at the bodega um, anymore. We had extreme line things, so I just had two beers. And then I think I brewed a batch of Lederhosen Lager for Oktoberfest up there. And I also think brewed one batch of Stout. Other than that, it was just brown ale and Pearl Street Pale Ale. Hmm. Yeah, and that went on for about a year. And then during that time, we were building the new brewery out at, at the old rubber mills. Sorry, I'm like looking at you fascinated because I'm seeing the growth of a company, which is pretty interesting. So you're literally like just getting by in the basement of the bodega and you go, OK, I got to scale up and I can't scale up and to become profitable right. there. And so you have these temporary situations to grow your customer base so that you can you're just growing your production. And so my question for you is, OK, if you're just getting by how did you buy a building? What did that conversation look like? You have la a large amount of space in that building. Yeah. I'm assuming you had a loan. Were they looking at what the potential growth was? Like looking at your business plan saying, yeah, we see that there's a tra uh, trajectory here if you can get this space. And is that what your story was for getting a loan and buying that building? Yeah. The bank didn't have a lot of faith in the business's ability to generate capital because I hadn't really demonstrated that yeah but the building so the building is part of the lacrosse footwear plant also known as the lacrosse rubber mills lacrosse rubber mills started over a hundred years ago and they originally built wooden buildings and then at some point basically it was right around the 1920s uh they tore those wood buildings down and they built modern concrete and brick buildings which are standing today and they continued to produce all kinds of products not only footwear but outerwear of all kinds under many many brand names distributed them throughout the world they made boots and outerwear for the military during the mm. World War One, World War Two, Vietnam, all these wars. So um, a lot of great history with lacrosse footwear as well. And in the early 2000s, they, a lot of big manufacturing companies in the United States um, started making, moved their production over overseas. And that's what lacrosse uh lacrosse footwear did as well. They had all these huge buildings that they didn't have a use for anymore. And two guys, two local investors bought this whole campus, like 13 buildings yeah. from lacrosse footwear. And I think they paid like next to nothing for it because they were just washing their hands of these buildings. And I think they figured they would this was it. They were going to get rich off these buildings. And then they paid the heat one winter. And the next spring, they, <laughs> they uh, couldn't couldn't uh, get rid of these buildings fast enough. And then along comes 
me and my dad and we walked in there and we haggled with them and we were able to buy the building that we're in dirt cheap because they just wanted it they wanted it gone so we had to break the campus which was like one property up into several properties and we we were the whole place was empty and we bought the first properties and put our business business in there or the first buildings i should say and and so it's just this old factory building that was nearly 100 years old now it's a uh, 100 years old we have tons of square footage there as far as to answer your question i just had a co-signer on the loan my dad had enough collateral where they said uh, all right and went from there dang your dad there for you time and time again yeah. that's awesome so that space on saint andrew it's what three floor three floors four it's, floors uh, it's, a, it's four stories yeah um, the footprint's about 13,000 square feet. Yeah. So times four stories and there's um, about 7,500 square feet of basements as well, where wow. we, we call it the cellar and that's where we store our beer. We have a big walk-in cooler down there and we store all of our beer that's ready to go out into the market. Yeah. So lots of space for growth. Tons. So let's talk about that space in the context of you also have event space there. So that takes us into the conversation around you. Part of your brand is your generosity, your community involvement. How did that get started? Well, in our first year, which would have been 99 or maybe it was early 2000, we did a fundraiser at Big Al's Pizza for a local um, couple who had a had a sick baby and I don't know must have been a friend of a friend and and so we did this white elephant auction and so I went to all of my all the business owners downtown many of them are still around and I asked them what they could donate to this auction we're doing this white elephant auction what do you have a lot of gift certificates or whatever bottle of booze from a bar there's they donated something and then we had this white elephant auction and raised a few hundred bucks for this couple. And that's kind of how it got started. So I think after that, then people turned to us and said, hey, can we do a fundraiser? And, and we did tons of that stuff. It just became part of our um, our business model or one of our objectives as uh, a business was part was to give back to the community that supported us. Literally, there was no distance between me as the producer and the consumer i like literally knew the people the people directly that were consuming my beer so it's hard to say no when they say hey i love your beer by the way (laughs) somebody has cancer in my family or there was a car accident or somebody's out of work and so we just that just became part of the deal part of pearl street brewery once we moved into the new building we actually had a space so now we have this big space we just started having parties Nat, it was comes naturally, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, a lot of those parties are are fundraisers for you name it small other small businesses mm-hmm. or or nonprofit local nonprofits was raise money for like the Boys and Girls Club or Big Brothers Big Sisters who we've done multiple uh, things for over the years, and it just became part of our business model to be very interactive in the community and give back. We never became a, a really rich business where we can just write checks to support local businesses um, or, or local nonprofits or just directly to people that need help. We've always used our space and our efforts. So we'll, instead of writing a check, we'll have, a, we'll have an event, we'll donate all the beer and then raise money in ticket sales and beer sales and give that money to, to whatever the cause was. Yeah, it's like using an in-kind donation to help an organization raise cash, which is yeah. 
equally as valuable. So talk about the Sprout for Kids Foundation. How did that come about? We wanted to make it easier and more streamlined. We talked to our accountant, like, how do we deal with this? All this stuff about, okay, we're giving all this beer away and we're providing our place free of charge to for fundraiser events and stuff like that. And they said, well, you should probably just separate these two things. So there's no gray area as far as filing taxes and all that stuff. So we started the, a, a 501c3 nonprofit called Sprouts for Kid, Sprout for Kids Foundation. And that way we, people that do make cash donations can also not pay tax on them because it is a legitimate nonprofit organization. Eventually we got that up and running. I want to say 2013. Don't quote me on that, but it's uh, right around that time we uh, made it official and we started the Sprout for Kids Foundation. We wanted to make sure that we um, kept our overhead low. Like a lot of one of the things we steered away from, it was doing any kind of work with nonprofits that had a lot of overhead. So any established nonprofit organization, we would look into them before we agreed to work with them. Uh, and if they had a big percentage, I realize they do have overhead, but if the big percentage of their um, the money they raised went into their own company, instead of going back to whatever their cause was, uh, we steered away from them because we want people's donation money to really count. So we decided to make Sprout for Kids Foundation completely overhead free by, so literally every dollar that somebody gives, whether they're buying Pearl Street beer or working with uh, On3 Print and Design, who's the, the two companies that started Sprout for Kids Foundation together, all that money goes directly to to the cause. So if we raise a dollar, it goes to that directly to that cause. And the way we're able to do that is just by donating our time and using mm -hmm. our business's resources. For example, for the brewery, it's beer for the print shop on three printing, it's printing posters, yeah. banners, stuff like that. So yep. we just absorb the costs into our business. Yeah. And the name, what's, the, where's, what's the origin of the name? Sprout for kids foundation. Yep. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I might have had something to do with our daughter, uh, who was born <laughs> shortly before we started the Sprout for Kids Foundation. Her her nickname was Sprout, and lo and behold, 15 years later, we're still calling her that. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that was kind of a temporary name we had for her when she was it's not a even great born name. Yet. Yeah. It's a great nickname. Yeah. So you are in St. Andrews finally, and you have the like you have unlimited capacity right so talk about how that helped grow pearl street brewery we bought some used brewing equipment the so brew house equipment mash tun and kettle and and four fermenters from a brewery out of colorado from the makers of fat tire beer mm -hmm. a brewery called new belgium and that was a great successful brewery and still is to this day and so we thought great we're gonna get some good mojo with this equipment and i think we did uh so yeah the brew house is 20 barrels versus six and we double batch so that means the fermenters are twice as big so essentially in one day you can brew 40 barrels of beer instead of six wow. so all of a sudden we have this massive amount of capacity which is awesome um, and we had the ability then to open our own tap room, which was essential in us surviving on um, being able to have people come in. 
what do you do when you go to a brewery, right? The first thing you want to do is drink beer. And we didn't really have a tap room. We are like, well, we better get a tap room going. Mm. So we originally had, of course, we're a brewery, so we have beer. And people would just start showing up after work. <laughs> We'd be at the end of our day and people would start showing up friends and then friends would bring friends. The next thing you know, we have 30 people standing around drinking beer that we had brewed and just taking it all in. And they just like to be there and be around it. And, and somebody said, one of our good friends said, you know, you should put out a, like a tip jar. <laughs> so we did, we put out a pitcher and everyone threw five bucks in it or whatever. And, and then that turned into our tap room. And then we said, you know what? We need to build a tap room. So we were so busy, like building the brewery and focusing on production and making new beers and all that fun stuff and buying a bottling line and, and doing that, that we didn't really think about a tap room right away. But then we put one in and it's been there ever since. And I'm guessing also tours started up now that you have a nice facility. Yeah, we officially started doing tours. And we still do tours. We've we condensed, compressed them into where we do scheduled tours only once a month, which is the first Saturday of every month. You can come down and just sign up for a tour. Or you can actually sign up online uh, on our website. Or we also do a lot of private tours. So small groups come in or big groups just call us because it was just more convenient to do it that way. So companies will do it. HR people call us, hey, I want to have a thing for our employees. Great. So brewery tour is a great way to kill a couple hours on a Saturday afternoon or pr pretty much any day if it's a scheduled tour. So, yeah, we still do a lot of that stuff. <laughs> Tours, tastings, they last about an hour, between an hour and two hours usually. So you have the space, you mm -hmm. have this growing capacity, you're producing more. And you're still distributing, you're still self-distributing. So how are you managing, and verify that, but how are you managing your time, your time specifically? Because as your company's growing, I'm guessing you're saying, I need yeah, help. In the days of the bodega, we had, it was really just people helping out. I didn't have any money to pay them. And then I just paid them whatever I had, whatever I could afford, which wasn't much. But people were just like, wanted to be involved. They wanted to be part of it. I was glad to have their help. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? And uh, then once we were in lacrosse footwear building and we started brewing beer capacity or brewing more, more beer styles again, and then also more beer per batch, then I was able to um, have the cash flow situation that allowed me to hire people, which was nice. So people to help me brew, to help us bottle, and also to get those deliveries out too. So yes, you brought up self-distributing. We've been self-distributing since the first keg of beer rolled out the door. Mm -hmm. And we've continued to self-distribute now for 25 years because it would be a lot easier for me just to hand that part of the business over to a distributor, a beer distributor company. But I like to be interactive with my customers. They've become our friends over the years and their businesses have grown with our businesses for many, many years. I just like that connection. So we still self-distribute and we probably always will. So talk about, you obviously have more beer to get out there. Yep. How did your distribution grow outside of lacrosse we started making a name for ourselves in the early 2000s we've always had accounts that would call hey i'm in eagle river i want i went to lacrosse i tried your beer i love it how do i get some and i was like well you can't i mean you could come in down here and i'd sell you some beer and you could take it back to your bar but other than that like 
we're not driving there. And the pressure got built and there was more and more people. And we started keeping a list of places that wanted our beer that we couldn't sell to because it was just too far to drive. And eventually we, there was a good concentration of places like that in Madison. They were all about it. They wanted Pearl Street beer. We couldn't sell it to them. Some bars did come out and some bars still do. They'll drive in from places that we don't normally or regularly distribute to and they'll still buy beer and take it back. Hmm. But Madison, there was enough of them out there that we said, you know what, we're going to just take a trip to Madison. So we load up our van, drive to Madison and sell all the beer on the truck. And we started, we told all the accounts there, you're going to have to order enough beer to last you a whole month because we're only doing this once a month. And of course, right away that failed. Yeah. (laughs) Next thing you know, we were there twice a month and then we were there three times a month. And then every freaking week we're driving out there. Ah, It was great. They wanted our beer and we love doing it, but it's just expensive and time consuming to do that. We rolled out Madison and then we rolled out the Fox River Valley. Oh, you just oh, there's this one place 20 minutes north of here. So go to that place. And then it just keeps going all the way up to Green Bay and and then Milwaukee. And at, the, at some point, you know, the distributors wanted to distribute our beer for us because that's what they do and mm-hmm. they're good at it. And they can provide like actual service to mm-hmm. customers instead of just dropping beer off once a month or so. <laughs> and eventually we started working with, with General Beer out of Madison. And, and they... They would come and just pick up beer in La Crosse and take it and distribute to all of our Madison accounts. And then that kind of grew into getting distributors throughout the state of Wisconsin. Pretty quickly after that, we started distributing beer through distributorships. And they have a network of kind of like sister distributorships mm. throughout the state. They're all called General Beer, or General Beverage, or other names. And, and in areas where they didn't have a lot of presence or they didn't really distribute to, we had other distributors, smaller distributorships that we worked with. And they'd all just come and pick up beer and get it out there to all the bars and restaurants around Wisconsin. And then, so here we are right next door to Minnesota. And when are you going to start selling beer in Minnesota? And I don't know. Because there's laws. I can't just go sell beer in Minnesota. I wish it was that easy. Right? <laughs> but there's a lot of intricate, contradicting laws from state to state. You almost have to hire a lawyer to interpret some of these laws sometimes because they're complex. But eventually we just uh, signed up with a local distributor who was a guy that had distributed old style for many years. And he distributed our beer in Minnesota for us. And so then you're multi-state. Yep. And then I wasn't too far away either. So we uh, went down there and they were interested. And so we started selling beer in Iowa. And geographically, Minnesota's right across the river. Iowa's not far away at all. So we sell beer still in, in uh, those two states as well. And their territory just organically grows over the years. And Yeah. Yep. And so when did you get the idea to say we want to do more than beer? I never had that idea for years. <laughs> I'm just, I'm a beer guy, you know, yeah. like I like a glass of wine, but it wasn't my thing. I don't know much about wines because you don't, why would you? If you're not in something, you're not really going to learn about it. But uh, 2000 happened. And during that time, a lot of bars and restaurants were closed. 
Um, and so we didn't have a lot of customers buying our beer. So what we did is a lot of breweries went out of business during that time. And what we did instead was install a canning line to migrate our beers into cans, which is a just a more popular package and also easier to handle, easier to work with. Our bottling line was getting old. So we pivoted. We did that. We decided to become a winery so we could sell hard ciders which we had been working with the Hoke family, which is a family of fruit farmers over in Crescent or Nodine up in the hill Mm -hmm. between the two. And they have this organic farm and we've been friends with them for years and we, and they make organic fruit and we, they were making their own hard ciders, right? Apple based ciders. And we just wanted to work with them and we wanted to sell it in our tap room. And the only way to really do that was to, become a winery because uh, hard ciders are classified as wine because they're made out of fruit. Uh, beer is made out of grain like barley and wheat. Yeah. And uh, so it's beer. And then the government, they're hard ciders in our tap room. And plus, you know, I know it sounds weird, but not everyone likes beer. <laughs> <laughs> Hard for you to believe. Hard for but me yes. to believe. Yeah. But so people, why would you go to a brewery and hang out if you don't like beer or you don't like craft beer. A lot of people just don't like strong flavored beers. So they're like not going to go there. Well, wine was something that we could offer them. Well, hard ciders. And Mm -hmm. there's also the gluten-free thing where hard ciders don't have any gluten in them. So a lot Mm -hmm. of celiacs have turned to hard ciders. And anyways, it made sense to do that. So we became a winery in 2020. And you're supporting another local company, which is great. So it's in alignment with, I know what you guys love local. So yeah, so 2020 is, was it was tough, right? 2020 was tough for a lot, a lot of people. Yeah. We also, so we had, now we had these products that weren't beer. Mm -hmm. Um, And I should say we, we've collaborated with them, not just to sell in our tap room that evolved into we, we finish the processing of the product and then we package it in cans mm-hmm. and kegs. And then we also distribute the Hoke Orchard products, which okay. are all hard ciders. Purple Rain is big, is like their number one. And it's a raspberry cider. It's delicious. Mm-hmm. It actually, I wasn't even a cider guy, but that's the one that kind of brought me over. It's, it's delicious. Yeah. Crack one of those open and it's just really tasty. And that's a raspberry cider. Most of their, and they make some really good traditional British ciders mm-hmm. and stuff. But yes, not only did we make the hard ciders, but then White Claw was born and like yeah. seltzers just swept the nation. And a lot of the tap lines that craft beer was on were replaced by hard seltzer drinkers. Mm-hmm. So we said, all right, well, we could probably make one of those. Made a hard seltzer. And we didn't really want to confuse the consumers of Pearl Street beer because, you know, clearly Pearl Street is known for beer and beer only. And the hard ciders uh, aren't beer and the hard seltzers are definitely not beer. So we started another LLC, another company called Teresimo Fermentations. And so we just use that brand name to market the non-beer products that we make. You doubled down and you're like, we're going to try new things and mm-hmm. discover new markets and have some partnerships with other companies. And Yeah, I mean, we were already around for 20 years. By the time uh, 2020 happens, we had seen, we've had overcome a lot of obstacles in the last 20 years. Um 
already. And this was just another obstacle for us to get around. Yeah. And I think we did that. Yeah. So let's talk about the path forward from there. So a lot of breweries, like we were talking about this, a lot of the small breweries folded during the pandemic. You guys survived. Hooray. Yeah. But now you're rebuilding because obviously those are trying times, but people were buying alcohol during the pandemic. That's for darn sure. But yeah, right. but how do you rebuild from that? And how, do, how are you growing? Our uh, tap room, we, you know, we really couldn't survive without that. And mm -hmm. our, and we've done a lot of, made a lot of changes that we're rolling out for our winter ball, which is coming up uh, in February, uh, 25th anniversary. But uh, yes, we've done some renovations at our tap room that are, that we're really excited about in the process right now. Mm -hmm. So developing the tap room business, one of the, one of the things that people have been needing in lacrosse is uh, places to have their events. We didn't really think about being in a place to like an event center, but a lot of people want to get married in a brewery or mm. the fact that we're a brewery draws people in and they want to have their event somewhere cool, I guess. And we want to have it here. And we just turn people away. I sent them to celebrations on the river and we send them to all these other great convention centers and and special events places that are more better equipped to handle like 250 to 400 people we're just not really well equipped for that um but people insist okay all right so we just give in and and that's becoming like more and more of a thing too so that we just decided to like all right yeah we got to do these once in a while and uh keep people happy and also it's a revenue stream for the brewery too so we just make them happen yeah. We have shows there. We have two stages at the brewery. We have our little stage, which is right near the right near the bar in the tap room. And we call that the happy hour stage because we do happy hour music. In other words, it's not late at night. It's in the afternoons, evenings, every Thursday year round. And then some Saturdays or I'm sorry, some Fridays and actually some Saturdays we'll have events and all different kinds of music. We don't specialize or we're not partial to a certain type of music in our tap room. Also, comedy other events like that the politicians mm -hmm. <laughs> like to give us a call and come around and have a have fundraisers and stuff at our brewery and mm -hmm. we welcome that whatever your political leanings are it doesn't matter we, we like i like the fact that people get involved in politics mm -hmm. i think it's an important aspect and so we we support that in by just allowing politicians to come in obviously hillary Clinton yeah, showed up. Yeah, it was the famous actually, one with yeah, the bad pour. The bad pour, that's <laughs> been known. <laughs> yeah. so, and then, you know, you get hate from the other side. Like the anti-Hillary Clinton people were bad at us. <laughs> so she called us and we, we invited Bernie Sanders. We invited Trump. They didn't mm -hmm. come, but Hillary, Hillary did. Yeah. Uh, John McCain. It was a running mate. He had a fundraiser event there. Mm -hmm. Ron Kine has been around many times. We had Derek Van Orden had a thing there uh, at one point. Yeah. Speaking of events, we should talk about your winter ball because that is your big celebrations. What do you have planned? First winter ball wasn't even called the winter ball. It was just our grand opening party at the bodega, of course. And then in subsequent years, the winter ball was 
at different locations. We had it at out of the Jorgensen Farm. They have a barn on the mm-hmm. south side mm-hmm. on 14. We had it in their barn a couple of years. We had it out at Bluebird Campground. That was mm-hmm. a pretty legendary one there. But <laughs> <laughs> you say smiling and yeah. with a twinkle in your eye. There's some stories Good. from that, but uh, we won't yeah. tell those. Yeah, but yes. Just, just <laughs> at, at this point, ask around. I think everyone's been to a winter ball by now. <clears throat> um there was a place on the causeway there called El Cocoloco, and it was there for a really short time. But it was just this big, not huge, but this building with like a bar in it and a stage. And it was a lot of space. <laughs> so we had it there one year. When we, with our brewery, having this big building available to us after uh, 2005, 2006 or so, we started having them there. And we still do a lot of... I guess you'd say off-premise parties. We do the mm-hmm. ski jump every year out in Westby and um, Oktoberfest and everything. But the winter ball for, for many years has just been at the brewery, which mm-hmm. allows us to do a lot of stuff. We've done food pairings, like f- Friday dinners, sit-down dinners, and we've done, a, done it a lot of different ways. And we like to keep people guessing and keep it exciting and nobody really knows what we have in store for them. Um this year, uh, celebrating our 25th Winter Ball is is a throwback party to the 1990s when we were born, when Pearl Street Brewery was born. So the theme is 90s. Um, as usual, there's always music involved. We, we all love music, and music is the stereo that the brewery's on pretty much from 6 in the morning until eight or nine at night every day so <clears throat> we all love music and so the music's always been a part of pearl street brewery and we've all we brought a lot of bands to lacrosse that have never played here before because we like to not only have local bands of course but have bring in some talent from madison milwaukee minneapolis or just traveling bands rope them in and had them play a lot of good times a lot of bands over the years this year we have the smoking bandits who played at several of our original winter balls fun yeah no doubt those guys are awesome a lot of local musicians involved in that and musicians from out of town are coming back town for that smoking bandits and we have another another band called groove collection from minneapolis and they they have many local people know a guy named reed Grimm. Yeah, who's been in quite a few bands, both locally and also touring, national touring bands. He was on The Voice. Yeah, he was on The Voice for, he was a a finalist uh, one year on that, too. We're looking forward to that February 17th. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's a Saturday. It's, we're also having a locals brunch on Sunday, which is not something we did last year, but so many people come into town for the winter ball. They show up, they party, and then it's Sunday. And then what? I guess they go back home, but mm-hmm. they really just want to get together and hang out with people. So we decided to do a brunch at the brewery on Sunday after the winter ball. So that'd be the 18th of February. Come on down for that annual winter ball tickets. You can get those online. We have $35 general admission tickets. And uh, with that, you get access, you get a beer, you get a souvenir pint glass and stuff. And then for, for the uh, VIP people, we have a $75 tickets. And um, with that, you get more beers, you get five beers, and also you get some food and, and uh, early entry into the party. Um, like I mentioned earlier, we're, we are in the process of remodeling our tap room, so we're excited to roll that out. We're also offering pizzas at our tap room now. 24 so that's just starting now and of course we continue to do our tours yeah Um, groups of people can get together and just give us a call or an email and we'll set up your tour for you 
Sounds great. Yeah, we have meeting rooms. We're hosting the what was known as the Moses Organic Conference in yeah. February. Yeah. It's now called Marble Seeds. Mm-hmm. So Moses became Marble Seeds. Same organization, same great people. They have a big event down in the Lacrosse Center. And then on Saturday night during that weekend, um, everyone from down there just comes to the brewery and we host their event. So we're a sponsor of, of Marvel Seed and Moses and have been for years. Um, so that event is happening. Um, we also do, I don't know, all kinds of corporate events and weddings and concerts. Uh, a lot of bands call us. They want to be on our stage and play, and we're receptive to all to putting those kind of events together, um, public events. We do markets, a maker's market. Mm-hmm. Um, started at the Pearl Street Brewery. We'll be doing a lot more of that kind of thing in 2024 yep. as well. Yeah, your events are endless. I think I've seen, what is it, yoga and a beer or something like yeah, that. And yeah, yeah uh, you have a biking night. People can bike in. and Yep, every Wednesday, starting many, many years ago, uh, we did freewheeling Wednesday. Yeah. And so basically, you ride your bike to the brewery, and we buy you a beer. Yeah. And so we were just, that was a summer promotion, right? And then we were going to, the first year we did it, we were going to stop doing it in October or whatever. People quit riding bikes, but then why not just keep it going year round? And it's funny because guys like ride their bikes in the winter and they, they come on down the dead of winter, like brave the elements and ride their bicycles to the brewery. It's great. So, uh, yeah, we still do freewheeling Wednesdays every Wednesday year round. We have live music on our happy hour stage, usually with... Uh, there's always a, a variety of different music. The host is Brian Beard, so he'll come in either by himself or with his his other band members, or he'll have special guests. Brian Beard is pretty legendary. He's been a musician in this town for probably close to 30 years mm-hmm. or so. He's been in a lot of bands, and he pretty much knows all the musicians around here. So that's pretty special on Thursday nights. He hosts that, and so you, you can catch me. Sometimes it's just him solo. Sometimes it's a lot of great musicians join him, too. And I should mention the mug club. So we have a limited number of mugs in our mug club, and at the beginning of the year, we begin selling mug club memberships. We have a limited number of memberships, but mug club's great. We have our mug club meeting every month, the first Thursday of every month. We come on, people come on down and we do prizes and giveaways and we have fun. Sometimes we have comedy. We always have music or some kind of entertainment and we have food for the mug club people. That's the first Thursday of every month. You sign up once, pay a hundred bucks and you just get a, it's a great deal. Yeah. Like money wise, you yeah. get cheap beers, get your own mug, you get cheap beers yeah. all year round and you get yeah. discounts. 10% off all of our swag and gift certificates and you name it. Nice. Plus we do, like I said, a lot of giveaways and try to keep mug club night pretty fun. Yeah. It's a great night to come to Pearl street. We're open to the public on those mug club nights as well, but you don't get the benefits. Right. Yeah. They just look in envy and say, I yeah, got to become a mug a lot club of member. Just come to the mug club night and go, wow, this is cool. And they uh-huh. end up signing up. Yeah. yeah. So smart. Yeah. So my common closer question is, what makes you passionate about what you do? I love beer. I love brewing beer. I think beer is beer is more than a beverage. Beer is a social lubricant. Beer is a culture. 
beer is involved in almost all social events. And that's for a reason. I think beer brings people together. Uh, part of our heritage, especially in lacrosse, being a beer town. A lot of the founding fathers of our country were brewers. And I don't know, just beer's great. I like brewing it. And I like drinking it. I like hanging out with other brewers and talking beer. And I don't know, it's just my thing. And as you said, when you're passionate about it, it's not work when you love what you do, but yeah. I know you work hard. So yeah, I'll, and a shout out to the, to the crew at Pearl Street Brewery. They work their butt off. They're out there right now, sanding the hardwood floors down and refinishing yeah. them. So I got better, better go get back to that. Yeah. The other duties as assigned. Yeah, yes. You know it. <laughs> You've been listening to Joe Ketchaver. He is the owner and brewmaster and founder of Pearl Street Brewery. They are celebrating their 25th anniversary, which congratulations, that is a milestone. Thank you, Vicki. Yes, and we will catch you next week.